Good morning, church family. If you've got your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 2. If you're with the 3 and 4's class, you are dismissed to your class now. Thank you for worshiping with us. Proverbs, chapter 2. If you do not have a copy of God's Word and you would like a hard copy to look off of, uh, Christian Norton has Bibles, and he's going to be walking down the aisle with them right now. He would be glad to give you one. Just slip up your hand, and he'll hand you one. Proverbs chapter 2 is where we are. We've been journeying through the book of Proverbs uh, since the beginning of this year, and we finally finished the first chapter and are transitioning into chapter 2. And we are actually going to cover the entirety of Proverbs chapter 2 today. Lord willing. Somebody laughed over here. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 22 is where we'll begin. So allow me to begin reading God's Word, and then we'll, we'll pray for understanding here in just a moment. <clears throat> my son, if you receive my words... And treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. From men of perverted speech who forsake the path of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. All right, let's, let's pray that God would give us understanding this morning. Lord, we come to you 
And uh, we just want to confess our finiteness, our limitedness, the ways in which, Father, we are limited by our own sin, just by our humanity, and we come to you recognizing that we need wisdom outside of ourselves. We need knowledge from outside of ourselves. We need things that only you can provide. So God, we just as a church family want to humbly submit to your word right now and just ask that you would give us a deeper knowledge of you. Not a head knowledge, not, not just intellectual knowledge, but Father, a heart knowledge of you, a personal God. Help us to see you more clearly. Help us to love you more deeply. Help us to obey you more faithfully as a result of the word of God being preached in this moment, God. We ask, speak words of power. Father, move me out of the way in such a way uh, that is obviously you speaking, God. I pray that I would just enjoy this moment of communion with you as you just use my mouth to hopefully explain scriptures that you've inspired, God. So we pray, work that miracle in this place. Help us to appreciate this miracle for what it really is. We pray all these things by your grace and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week in our study of Proverbs, we were introduced to a personification of wisdom. That is, wisdom is described as a lady, lady wisdom, crying out in the streets, at the marketplace, at the city gates, with everything that she's got, pleading with passersby to listen to her words of wisdom. Like a prophet in the wilderness, she cried out for anyone and everyone to, to, to hear her, to stop and to turn toward the wisdom that she was proclaiming. Then we were described the fool who hears the voice of wisdom. It's not that they didn't hear. Who hears the voice of wisdom, but then just keeps walking for some reason. The fool in chapter 1 was described as someone who, who actually just hates knowledge, ignores counsel, despises reproof. The author at the end of chapter 1 describes the fool as a complacent person, someone who is content in their foolishness. They, they're the kind of person who doesn't want to grow, doesn't want to change, because they see no reason to, and because if they were to, it would be uncomfortable for them. So, so they like to stay the path they're already on. The problem is, is that that path is a path to destruction. The, the complacent person says, no, I'm good. I don't need to know anymore. I don't need to obey anymore. I don't need to grow anymore. I'm fine. And Proverbs chapter 1 says, no, you're not fine. In chapter 2, though, having just heard Lady Wisdom crying out, begging them to turn from their own paths and turn to the path, the only path that will bring true security and blessing and joy, the path of wisdom, Lady Wisdom's begging them to do this. Well, in chapter 2, verse 1, the voice changes again, okay? Now, remember in Proverbs, uh, wisdom is portrayed in different ways to help us see the nuances of what wisdom is, and already we've seen earlier in chapter 1, that the voice of wisdom is like the voice of a loving father instructing his child. 
And now we're back in chapter 2, sitting with a loving father, providing instruction to his child. Chapter 2 actually takes the form of a poem. Uh, You you don't see it in the English, but in the Hebrew language, Proverbs chapter 2 is actually one long sentence consisting of 22 stanzas, Uh, which match the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So chapter 2 is meant to function as sort of this one big poem, right? One of the reasons that we're doing the whole thing together in one sermon. We're going to try to see it as a unit, and as we do so, because it's this its own little unit, you're going to see repetition of themes we've already seen. You'll see themes that later we'll see more in depth. And as we progress throughout the Proverbs, man, there are going to be several sections, several chapters that are repetitive, Uh, but they're not completely repetitive. Now, what I mean is there's always particular nuances or emphases that build on your understanding of what the wise life really is. And so our challenge is to notice the repetition. Okay, we've seen this before. We've seen this before. But then to ask, okay, what layer is he adding to our understanding of wisdom, God's wisdom? So this particular poem, chapter 2, It's going to lead us through this progression. Verses 1 through 5, our pursuit of wisdom. Verses 6 through 11, God's provision of it. Verses 12 through 22, the things that wisdom actually protects us from. Okay, so the first thing I want you to notice in the text, in verses uh, 1 through 5, first thing I want you to notice is the if-then equation. Right? We actually were just teaching this to the children at, in the children's training class this morning. The if-then equation. If you do this, then you get this. Right. So I, one of the teachers used example like if you obey your mom and dad, then you get uh, screen time or tablet time. And one of the kids went forever. <laughs> we said no, <laughs> not forever, <laughs> but whatever time your parents say. Right. So, but they get they they got very quickly. The if-then equation. If you do this, then this will happen. And so, so let's start with the ifs of verse, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. If you receive my words. So, In chapter 1, verses 20 through 33, the emphasis was on listening to wisdom's voice. The primary difference between the fool and the wise person was the wise person stops what they're doing and listens. So last week, a big emphasis on listening. But I want you to notice how the father in Proverbs 2 is not content with his son just listening to words. He's not concerned with his son simply hearing and understanding words. Now, that's that's part of it. But notice that the father wants the son not only to receive his words, verse 1, but to treasure his commandments. Not only to make his ear attentive, part of it, we need that, but to incline his heart to understanding. You see, the father, the good father instructing his son and what it means to live the wise life, the father is not concerned with his son's intellectual ability to discern objective rights and wrongs. 
He wants his son to love what is true. He does not want his son's reluctant obedience to certain standards that he understands. He wants his son to treasure God's commandments. He wants his son's, not just mind, but he wants his son's heart. Now, this is the first truth that we can discern from this text this morning. Truth number one, wisdom is a matter of the heart's affections. Wisdom is a matter of the heart affections. The father doesn't want his son to see God's words, to see God's way in God's world as a burden to bear, but rather as precious pathways to everlasting joy. The secret to wisdom is not just knowing what is right. It is loving what is right. Now, listen to the words of of Jonathan Edwards. He wrote on this extensively in his life. As he lived in a a, a culturally Christian moment in time in the country, he recognized that Christianity was more, had to be more, than knowing certain facts. He writes this, The nature of human beings is to be inactive unless influenced by some affection. Love or hatred, desire, hope, fear, etc. These affections are the spring of action. The things that set us moving in our lives, that move us to engage in activities. It is the affection that we call covetousness that moves a person to seek worldly profit. It's the affection we call ambition that moves a person to pursue worldly glory. It's the affection we call lust that moves a person to pursue sensual delights. Just as worldly affections are the spring of worldly actions, so religious affections are the spring of religious actions. No one is ever changed, either by doctrine, by hearing the word, or by the preaching or teaching of another, unless the affections are moved by these things. You see, wise people, truly wise people, that the wisdom is a part of them, wise people are wise because they have superior affections than the fool. They have a supreme treasure that they deem as more worthy at the end of the wise path than the promise, the fleeting promise, of the foolish path. So because they have a superior affection, they seek out what they love. You are always seeking out what you love most. Your actions are always a spring from your heart's deepest affections. Right? So this is why Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven like this in Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, why did he get rid of everything else? Because he found something superior to all the other things that he had, a superior treasure, a superior affection. Jesus says, relationship with me is like that. Living as a, as a Christian in the kingdom of God is like that. This is not an invitation to come and be shackled by God's rules. This is an invitation to come and find a better treasure than the world promises. Notice that the treasuring of something leads the man to sell everything. Notice the proactive pursuit of wisdom 
that the father wants his son to have. Look at verses 3 and 4. The son uh, sort of ups the ante, if you will. I mean, the father ups the ante, if you will. He says, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. Notice, the father does not simply instruct his son by telling him what not to do. He does not instruct his son by simply telling him what not to do. There's, there's a, a sort of side note commercial break here. There's some lessons for parenting here, isn't it? Our, our, our parenting should not be identified primarily by us trying to keep our children from doing bad things. That, that falls short of God's design, does it not? We sh- we, what we want to try to do is get them to see the beauty of the best things, not just the danger of the bad things. Let that change the way we disciple. Let, let, let's not just say, don't do this, you'll get squashed. Let's say, do this. It's wonderfully better than the promises of the world. This leads us to truth number two. Wisdom is a proactive pursuit. The father wants the son to chase after, to seek, to search for understanding and insight and the wisdom of God. And the assumption is, the assumption is, is that that, that the father knows that wisdom is not something that's going to come naturally to his son. It's not something that he's going to drift toward accidentally. We do not accidentally walk according to the way of the wise. (laughs) Rather, we have a more natural disposition for foolishness that has to be overcome, right? We, We have to seek out understanding that is not naturally ours. Now, That's one of the most problematic differences between the non-Christian worldview that we all are immersed in and the Christian worldview that the Bible teaches. Your non-Christian friends on Facebook understand themselves to be the truest source of wisdom. This is the fundamental worldview difference. The, the, The voice of our present culture is that you must be true to yourself. Whatever your self desires you must be true to. And anyone who speaks to you differently or confronts what your self desires, they are the enemy. And in fact, they hate you because they're not letting you be true to your true self. The problem, however, is that the Bible says our true self is fundamentally flawed. And we, like the child, love to play in the road with oncoming traffic. It's our truest desire. (laughs) But we need somebody outside of ourselves to say, you'll be hit by a car. Don't play there. Don't do that. But I want to. Well, your want-tos are leading you to destruction. Your want-tos are fundamentally flawed. That's, that's the issue. That's, like There's something wrong inside of here. So, so we live in a world where everyone says, listen to this primarily. And we read a Bible that says, this is screwed up really bad. And you need someone out there to speak truth into what's in here. The greatest defense in our culture is to tell someone else that they don't get to create their own truth. They have to look outside of themselves to the true source of truth, namely God himself. All of us 
must look to truth God provides, not truth that we make up, right? The fool never recognizes that he needs wisdom outside of himself. The wise person always recognizes that they need more wisdom. The wise person is (laughs) self-doubting. The wise person questions the desires first and then seeks truth to confront those desires. The fool immediately trusts his own desires. Christian, if you are not proactively seeking after wisdom in the Word of God that leads to life, you are automatically absorbing the folly of the world that leads to death. There is no passivity in the Christian life. You can't just stop striving for wisdom and expect to coast the rest of the way. It's, it is a riding a bike uphill. You stop pedaling, you start rolling backwards. I mean, let, me, let me say it again. You are, if you are not proactively seeking wisdom in the Word of God that leads to life, you will automatically be, a, be absorbing the folly of the world that leads to death. Wisdom is a proactive pursuit. But now remember, now remember, the father is not primarily interested in just the son pursuing more facts. Now, I want you to notice there, uh, in, in poetry, there's, there's often a structure to where uh, the phrase at the end of the line up here and the phrase at the end of the line down here, they coincide. They're synonymous. They're, they point to the same thing. And I want you to notice what the author uh, puts as the same, in the same place of wisdom that you're pursuing. So notice the synonyms here. We're supposed to be seeking, pursuing wisdom, insight, and understanding, according to verses 1 through 4. But now let's get to the then part of the if-then equation. So if you seek wisdom, insight, understanding, according to verses 1 1 through 4, notice the summary of verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Truth number three, wisdom is a matter of knowing God. Wisdom is a matter of knowing God. If you seek wisdom and understanding and insight in the commandments of God, what you will find is God Himself. If you seek truth, what you will find is a right fear of the one true God. That is a right reverence that God is beyond you. A personal and intimate knowledge of a creator and a savior that you can never fully know, that you can never outknow. There's always more of God to know. This is most ultimate. When we say as Christians, we want to live a wise life, we want to live in God's world, God's way. Well, well, what's God's primary desire for us? God's primary desire for us is for us to desire Him right? A relationship that is marked by love, by worship, by obedience to Him in faith. To know God, that is eternal life, Jesus says in John 17. What is eternal life? But to know God and Christ whom He sent, starting now and increasingly more forever and ever. Now, to know God is to have His ear in prayer, Regularly. I mean, Moses spoke with God face to face as with a friend. Why does the Bible tell us that except to make us hunger for that kind of nearness? 
Prayer is an avenue for that kind of communication. To know God is to have his ear in prayer, to cherish what he has said clearly through the scriptures that are inspired, the spirit-filled people that are around us in the local church. The Bible demands from you more than religious cold box-checking. I desire more for you than, than to meet the status quo of religion in this church. The Bible calls us to relational, personal intimacy with a God who loves us through faith and trust in the means He's made available. You see, most of us fail to pray, me included, chief of sinner here, I fail to pray because I lack the faith that God is actually a personal God who's hearing me when I talk. I I fail to pray because I have affections for productivity that outweigh my affections for intimacy with God. We fail to search the scriptures for how we should respond in any given situation because we fail to believe that God's actually spoken there to increase our wisdom. There's one thing that I wanted to challenge you with this morning from Proverbs chapter 2. It's the father's desire for his son to have the knowledge of God, to know him, and to fear him rightly. Let me just ask you the question this morning. Do you know God on a relational level? Not do you know some good theology, but do you know God on a relational level? Do you appreciate the personal nature of our God, the nearness of his presence, his desire for your obedience? Do you obey God out of a fear that he'll punish you or out of a desire to please him? Do you you obey God out of a fear of his punishment or a desire to please him? I know that I, I want my children to obey me out of a desire to please me, not out of a fear of the belt. And I believe that God the Father desires the same from you. The Proverbs urge you to seek the things of God like hidden treasures in a field. Did you seek God last week? Did your actions and priorities this week suggest that your affections are for God supremely. In verses 1 through 5, the action verbs of those five verses are all ours. So we receive words, we treasure up commandments, we make our ear attentive, we raise our voice to understanding, we seek it, we search for it. But now, in verses 6 through 11, someone else is doing the action. I want you to look at verses 6 through 11 now. Notice what God does for the person who seeks him. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the ways of the saints. These are all God activities here. Then you'll understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path for wisdom will come, who's going to bring this? Wisdom will come into your heart. Again, God's doing this, giving you wisdom into your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will 
guards you. Truth number four, wisdom is a miracle of God. Wisdom's a miracle. He, he gives it to us. He pours out knowledge and understanding, becomes a shield, guards our path, watches over the way of his saints, and he actually transforms us to become the kind of people who understands what righteousness is, who seek justice and equity in our relationships with others. He gives us eyes to see the world as he sees it, sin as he sees it, the value of people made in the image of God as he sees them. Wisdom comes into our heart and manifests in us. Notice the change of affections in verse 10 specifically. Wisdom will come into your heart, and look what happens. Look what happens. This is what happens to the Christian person. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. What does it look like for God to do a miracle work in a person? The knowledge of God becomes pleasant to their souls. We don't, we don't come to church, right, because we're afraid God will smite us for our non-attendance. We come because it's pleasant to our souls to hear the word, to sing praises, to pray prayers, to lock arms with fellow Christians. This is the kind of miracle work God does in the heart of those who seek him, which is why it's so concerning when someone drifts away from the things of God. When someone's desiring other things, they, they, they disappear from the local church. They're not reading the word at all. They, there's nothing spiritual happening in their lives, yet they say, I'm a Christian. And you're like, well, that's great, but this seems to say that you will find the things of God pleasant to you. And nothing about your life says that God is pleasant to you. Everything about your life says that the world is pleasant to you. So we're concerned because when we look at the scriptures, what we see is that wisdom is a miracle God does in the heart. And when there is no action, there is no affections. And if there is no affection for God, then what do you even mean when you say, I'm a Christian? God makes the things of God pleasant to us. And, and here in the Old Testament, God is credited with this work. In the New Testament, it just becomes clearer I mean, Jesus says you can't enter the kingdom of God without this type of radical shifting of the whole self. I mean, John 3, 3, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Paul says this about the Christian. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If, listen, Christian, if, if there is in you any desire for God this morning, if, if as I'm preaching, you're like, I enjoy this. <laughs> like, like, I like to hear true things about the Lord. I even like to feel the sting of conviction where I see things where I've been falling short. If there is anything in your soul that finds the Word of God pleasant this morning, you should take a moment right now and thank the Lord. As a miracle of God happening across the room that you guys would be here this morning rather than anywhere else in the world sitting to listen to things of God because there's something about it that is more pleasant than the things you would be doing otherwise. That is the grace of God. We praise Him that He makes Himself pleasant to us. There is no desire, though, 
If there's no desire for God in your heart, if the things of God aren't pleasant to your soul, if, if the things of God are more a burden than a joy, if obedience to Him feels like shackles rather than freedom, then you may need to take some time this morning, even as I preach, and call out for God and plead that He would make Himself pleasant to you and plead that He would forgive you for your sins and your desire for all the wrong things. If you've never experienced a change in, in affections at all in your life, then you've never experienced God. You don't know Him, and you're still in your sins. Seek God, plead with God, pray for Him to do what only He can do. Wisdom is a miracle of God, and, and it's a miracle of God which works for you, not only eternal life. I mean, this is a, this is a big thing, right? We, we, we're thankful that we'll be with Him forever, but th there's also a sense in that wisdom is a blessing. Knowing God right now is a blessing for your life right now. There's a sense with the Proverbs transitions in this poem now to say that, that right affections, right knowledge of God, a heart-level wisdom, they are the tools that God equips you with to protect you and guide you in a very hostile world. These are things that, that are activated in the here and now. So look at verse 11. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Well, why do you need someone to watch over you? Why do you need someone to guard you unless you live in a hostile world? What are we being guarded against? What do we need God to be a shield for us? Uh, for God to be a shield for us implies that there's some arrows coming, right? Right? that there's some, some swords being heaved at us, that, that there's something to be shielded from. Verses 12 and 15 remind us of an enemy that the Father has already warned the Son about. God's wisdom will protect you from the following. So put your eyes back on the text, verse 12. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Number five, number five. We seek wisdom now to protect us from the temptations that come later. And you could add trials to that too. We seek wisdom now to protect us from the temptations and trials that come later. So why is the father having this conversation with his son? Is it because his son is in a mess right now? Is it because his son is, is thrust into the world and facing all these things presently? Well, the father knows that his son will grow up in a world that does not allure him to godliness, but rather will entice him to walk away from God's way in God's world. So we, we are immersed in this world, surrounded by even friends and families and co-workers whose speech is perverted, who forsake or abandon the paths of uprightness, who walk away or walk the way of darkness, who rejoice in what God says is evil, who rejoice in what God's says is evil, who delight in perverseness, whose paths are crooked and devious. We are immersed in a world of people who are saying that abandoning God's way is where the joy is. And these people are not 
the random atheist on your Twitter feed. These people are your friends and neighbors and families. And like we live in a world who speaks these voices, not knowing the way of wisdom. We're immersed in this world. And the miracle of God's wisdom in us protects us like a shield from the lies we literally live in every day. God's a shield. He guards. He watches over. He protects. It's, but it's not just the loud voices of the crowd and the social media presence. It's also the subtle voice of the temptress. So this poem introduces us to the primary antagonist of the book of Proverbs. So if Lady Wisdom last week is the protagonist, that's, that's the good guy in the story. If Lady Wisdom is calling out for you to life and life more abundantly, follow the way of God, the antagonist is Lady Folly, the forbidden woman, the adulteress, who calls people to self-indulgence and abandonment of God's Word. Now, verses 16 through 19 introduce her to us, but chapters 5, 6, and 7 will be a, a deep dive into the way this works. Look at verse 16. So you, the one who receives the wisdom of God, you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Now, we'll revisit this uh, dynamic of the adulteress in chapters 5, 6, and 7, but for now, the primary point is that if you seek God's wisdom now, in this moment, then this kind of temptations that, that speaks to your fleshly desires, that, that speaks to your desire for immediate satisfaction, you will be protected against this. The adulteress in this poem, she, she abandons the companion of her youth. She forgets the covenant of her God. And in, in, in essence, she leaves her commitment to her husband and to God and, and entices you to join in the rebellion. The sexual sin is never sin in isolation. No sin is a sin in isolation, but especially sexually sin. It always drags others into the pit with you. And one of the things about the adulterous woman here is that, that in order for her to engage in the self-indulgence, she must drag other people into the self-indulgence with her. And thus it is in the world we live in. The adulterous attempts to drag others into the dark place of disobedience with her, and she appeals to your desire for delight and pleasure with no consequences. But she lies. Her house sinks to death. None who go to her come back. The wisdom of knowing God that we seek daily protects us from the moment that that temptation comes, and it will come to every single one of us in our lives. We are protected from that kind of temptation by the wisdom of God we sought yesterday, that we treasured last week, that we pursued wholeheartedly for the last year. This is why the Apostle Paul advocates for the putting on of armor every day. We don't put on armor after the battle starts, right? You're, you're 
behind. If you're straddling up as arrows are flying into the camp. We seek wisdom and we seek God's uh, way for our loved ones, for our children, for ourselves right now to protect them from the temptations that come later. So, so just as the father-son uh, dynamic, he, the father is not reactionary with his children. That's bad news bears. If I'm reactionary, if I'm having conversations with my son as a reaction to a temptation that's already punched him in the face, then I am not acting as the good father in Proverbs chapter 2. And nor are you acting as the son or the father if you think you live the Christian life in a season of peacetime. We are not in peacetime. There is never a day where the enemy sleeps on you, who decides to take a break from you. There's, There's never a moment where you can simply be neutral. Ceasefires aren't called in the war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. So so what Christianity looks like is a proactive seeking of wisdom, knowing the attack is coming, not knowing what it's going to look like, how it's going to happen, or what time it's going to happen in the day, but knowing it is coming. And just as the father's son, uh, the father-son dynamic, the lecture in chapter one ends with a summary of the two options, Proverbs chapter 2 ends similarly. So look at verse 20. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked, the wicked will be cut from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. The father puts only two options before the Son. And there are only ever two options. Though we would love for there to be three or four or five or six, there's only ever two options. There's coming a day where the wise will inhabit the promised land of God forever. There's coming a day where the wicked will be cut off and rooted out forever. The book of Revelation teaches us about the coming day where the world will be made new. The only way the world can be made new and perfect and good and that the human uh, kingdom and society would, be f- would flourish once again is if the wicked are rooted out and the righteous are left to enjoy relationship with one another and relationship with God. The Father wants the Son to be clear on the eternal consequences of rejecting God's way and the eternal security and blessing in choosing his path. There's a path which leads to life, a path which Jesus says he's the only door, the only gate, the only way. Faith in Jesus and trust in him is the only gateway to the path which leads to an inheritance that lasts forever. Now, I want to close this morning with a few suggestions uh, just from Proverbs 2, and I'll just work quickly through them. So if you're a note taker and you want to take down some takeaways, uh, this is what I'd love for you to walk away with. Number one, number one, seek God daily. Don't just do spiritual disciplines daily. That's great. Don't just read your Bible daily. That's great. Don't just say your prayers to cover bases. That's great. Seek God 
through these means that he's made available to you. Seek God in the daily reading of Scripture. Seek God in the daily prayer. Seek God when you gather with the church. Seek God when you're not sure what to do. Number two, pray for deeper affections. We said earlier that we want to love the right things, not just know the right things. But we also said that that's a miracle of God. So what do we do to have right affections? We pray daily for God to increase our affections for the right things. God, we, we, can, we just be upfront with God. I mean, we just be upfront with God in prayer. God, I don't want to do this. I don't love this. This is the thing I'm delighting in right now. This is the thing I really would love to delight in. Help me, O oh Lord. Help me to delight. That's what the seeking looks like. That's what the searching looks like, right? We don't have to put on a front for God. He, he knows your deepest desires and affections. So let's just go ahead and put it all out on the table and say, Lord, these are really screwed up. <laughs> Give me some new ones, God, for the right things. Number three, prepare for the trial and the temptation before it comes. Don't let your spiritual life be reactionary. Prepare for the days of sorrow. You don't want to be scrambling for your theology textbook on why evil is in the world when the diagnosis comes. You want to have prepared yourself for that moment. And lastly, number four, uh, wait on the Lord's promises. Jesus has promised an eternal inheritance to all believe who believe in him, and one day every step of faithfulness will be worth it. Every trial and temptation endured will be worth it. One day, Proverbs 2, verses 20 through 21, will be eternally true for you who trust in Christ. So let me close just by reading those words again. Verses 20 through 21. You will walk in the way of the good. One day, all of us who put faith in Christ will actually walk the way of the good perfectly and keep to the paths of righteousness. One day, there won't even be the voice of the temptress on the path along the way, pulling us away from the path of righteousness. The upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. And might I add, forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for Proverbs chapter 2 and just my study this week and how I've been overjoyed to commune with you. I pray, God, that you would give us all a joy in seeking you, seeking wisdom and finding you, Lord, and bring us back here to do this again, that, that we might find the things of God pleasant to our souls this week and next Sunday. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.